1: I discovered Silverdale basically through my wife. When they built the church north of at the end of the road, my wife tried to get me to go to church, but I would not go to church. The one or two times I did go, I enjoyed it. And I I enjoyed Pastor Tony's and Pastor Randy's teaching because I felt like I was learning more about the Lord. So I work, I work in Chicago, I'm, I'm only here a few weeks out of the year. So I started listening to Pastor Tony in Chicago on Sunday mornings, and uh, I could feel the Lord connected me. I knew that I needed to be saved. In November of 2018, in Chicago, (laughs) in an apartment by myself, I remember getting down on my knees and asking the Lord to come into my life. And I went home and uh, I told my wife I needed to talk to her. And I started just talking to her like I'm talking to you now. Opened up my heart to her, told her. And uh, I can't say that I I would be saved if Silverdale wouldn't have come to where I was living at. I I don't know. I don't know. But I know it made a big difference in my life was the church being walking distance from my house.
2: God for Tommy's story, not only the influence of North Udawah campus, literally across the road from where he lives, but um, now that he has given his life to Christ, still works in Chicago, you know, flies back almost every weekend, but he now has a Silverdale small group at his workplace every week in Chicago, and it's just the way that God works. Isn't that amazing? I love that. And that's why we exist, that the lost or found. And that's what we're going to talk about today. It's so good to see all of you here worshiping with us. I'd like to welcome all of you here at our Bonnie Oaks campus. Also like to welcome those of you at our Creekside Service or North Utawa campus or St. Elmo or all of you that may be worshiping online. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'm Tony Walliser. I'm one of the pastors here. And I have the privilege today to share with you God's word. So this wanna encourage you to do. Go and take your Bibles and open up the New Testament to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 15 You can turn to Luke 15, you've got a smartphone, you can open that app to Luke 15 as well. And then do this, take out these Bible study outlines that we provide for you. We give you these so you can follow along and take notes as we study God's Word together. We begin a series last week called Reach, and we're sort of answering the question... Why do we reach out as a church? Why should we reach out? How do we reach out as a church? And so that's what this series is all about. And last week, I talked about how we have a heart to plant a new campus in Appison. Why there? Because a five-mile radius of the campus that we're going to be planting there, there's 33,000 people that live there, and it's growing overnight, even more. And yet the vast majority of those people do not have a church. They don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, we as a church, we're not just trying to reach Appison, we want to reach all of Hamilton County. I mean, the the reality is, is that we're a regional church, and we have people that, you know, come to our church from north of Cleveland to, you know, Chickamauga, North Georgia. And so, we're a regional church that reaches a lot of people, but think about it, Hamilton County, there's 365,000 people that live in our county, and the vast majority of them Do not have a church home. Do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible says that whenever a person doesn't have a relationship with God through Christ, Jesus describes them as lost. Lost. Now, that's a very ominous term, but that's the term that Jesus uses. And so, in fact, Jesus even tells us that the reason why he came to this planet was to seek and save the lost. Look at his mission statement. It's found later on in the Gospel of Luke Luke 19, Jesus says this, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was, what? Lost. Lost. Ever been lost before? I'm sure most of us, when we're driving around somewhere, you get lost, right? I can remember the very first time that I was lost. I was actually three years old. I had gotten a um, new tricycle with a big wheels, and um, I was real excited about it. And so this is before my family moved out on the farm. We actually lived in a suburb of Tampa, Florida. And so I got on my tricycle and I head down the sidewalk and I'm going faster than I've ever gone before. It was amazing. I mean, the wind's blowing through my crew cut hair, you know, and, um, and so I'm just going down the road. And, and so I'm like, I take a turn and go down that road a little bit and take another turn and go down that road a little bit. And it was so fun. I was so free. It was amazing. But then I'm like, okay, I need to return home. And so I try to, you know, go back the way that I came, and I turn down this road, and I'm like, this, none of this looks familiar. And I'm like, maybe I went down the wrong street. And so I, I hustle back, and I try to go down another street, and this doesn't look familiar. And suddenly, even as a three-year-old, I know something's wrong. I'm lost, right? And it's no longer fun. In fact, it's fearful, and tears are coming to my eyes. And about that time, I see my dad coming down the road in our family car, and he came to seek me out and find me because I was lost. Praise God for dads, right? Well, that's really Luke chapter 15. Luke 15, Jesus tells three stories of lostness. Luke 15 is sort of like the, the lost and found department of God. And in these, in these three stories that Jesus is going to teach us, he's going to show us, you know, what is the heart of God and what's our condition and what's the problem. And so it's amazing, three simple stories. You've probably heard them all before. So what I'm going to do today is I just want to simply summarize them and go through them and then let's focus on the real big ideas of what Jesus is trying to teach us. So the very first story that Jesus tells us is the story of the lost sheep. The lost sheep. And so what Jesus does is he tells the story of this shepherd, and this shepherd has 100 sheep, and, and all of them are fine except one. One of them wanders away. He's drifted away from the rest of the flock, and so what does the shepherd do? The shepherd, because he loves that one sheep, he leaves the 99 in the care of the sheepfold, and then he goes looking for that lost sheep, just like my dad came looking for me. And as soon as he finds that lost sheep, he puts that sheep on his shoulders and carries it back to the sheepfold. And then after he gets the sheep back safe and sound, this is what he says. Look at what Jesus says in verse 6. He calls his friends and neighbors together saying to them, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. And then Jesus makes this commentary I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. So that's the heart of God. And so just in case we miss the heart of God in that one parable, Jesus then tells a second one. It's the parable of the lost coin. The lost coin. And so what we have here is this story, this woman has these 10 silver coins. And most biblical scholars will say that most likely this was part of her dowry for her to get married. And what they would do is they would take these, um, these 10 beautiful coins and they would make a headdress, much like this picture here. And they make this headdress and basically it would be a sign of her fidelity and loyalty to the marriage, much like a, a wedding ring, you know, or a wedding diamond kind of thing. And we don't know exactly what happened, but, you know, as the story goes, this woman loses one of these coins. Maybe, you know, she was taking it off at night and she throws it on the floor and she wasn't careful with it, I don't know. And it it just gets detached, one of the coins gets detached and rolls into a dark corner. And so the next morning she goes to put it on and one of them is missing. Oh my goodness. I've misplaced it. And so what does she do? Jesus says that she lights a lamp and she gets a broom and she literally cleans the entire house looking, seeking for that one lost coin. And when she finally sees it, this is what she says. Look at it in verse nine. When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me because I have found the silver coin I lost. And then Jesus makes this commentary. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over what? Uh, over the fact that, you know what, my team won? Over the fact that my politician got elected? Over the fact that, you know what, um, I got a new car? Look, those things bring joy on earth, but what brings joy in heaven? I'll show you what, over one sinner who repents. Our passions, our heart, our celebration ought to reflect the heart of God, right? Right? This is God's heart for the lost. But then Jesus goes from, okay, the lost sheep, the lost coin. Then he tells the longest story. It is the lost child. Jot that down. The lost child. And so what Jesus is going to do, he's going to tell us this story, and you've heard it before. Most of us know it as the story of the prodigal son. And you have this dad, and this dad has two sons. He has an elder son, and the older son is really loyal. He's hardworking, got a great work ethic. He likes working in the family business. But the younger son, you know what? He's sort of edgy. He's free spirit. He doesn't like the family business. In fact, he would love to get out underneath his mom and dad's feet. He's tired of taking orders from his dad, and he just wants to get away. And so the younger son does something unthinkable. He asks his dad, for his inheritance he said you know what dad you're gonna die one day anyway getting old why don't you you know why don't you go and give me the money now so I can be gone now as Jesus was telling that story that's whenever the the audience would have oh, gas because that's unthinkable why because in essence what the son was saying is dad I wish you were dead give me my money now what's crazy is that the father does it look at it in verse 12 so he divides his property between them. Now, it had to be a great expense. I mean, you just can't liquidate all your assets and give, you know, a third of it away to one son. And yet, that's what he did. And I'm just in my mind, imagine that as he's given this money to this son, he, he brings the son in and says, son, will you just sit down just for a second? I, I've gotten the money that you've requested of me. And, um, but I want to give you a gift as well. First of all, I want to give you this coat. Because, you know, it's a cold world out there, and you need to know that. And you've always admired my shoes, and so I've bought some new shoes for you. And I just want you to know that no matter how far you go away, you can always come home. And and son, I want to give you this other gift. I want to give you my signet ring. And I want you to put it on your hand, and I want you to just know it's it's got our family crest on it, that even though you're, you're away from the family, you need to know that you can always come back. You always belong to this family. Now, this is what I want you to do, son, before you leave. Your mom's in the kitchen. She's crying because she's so worried about you. Would you please give her a hug before you leave? And Jesus says the son gets the, the money and he goes as far and as fast away from the father as he possibly can. Jesus says he goes to a distant country. And he goes there, and he's a good-looking kid. He's got a lot of money. He's got a ring on his finger, new clothes. Oh, my goodness, he's living high on the hog. And so he finds himself a watering hole, and he says, Hey, everybody, drink's on me. And suddenly he's got a lot of friends. He's got a lot of girlfriends. And things are going great as long as the money's around. But then Jesus says there's a downturn in the economy. And what happens? Suddenly he doesn't have any money anymore. And suddenly he doesn't have any friends anymore, and so he's like, "How am I going to survive?" Well, I got to pay my rent, and so what he's going to do? Well, you know what? I, uh, I got this coat. Uh, I'll hawk this coat. And that gets him by for a little bit, and and then suddenly he gets a little hungry, and he's like, "Well, I can't eat these shoes," and so he, you know, goes to pawn shop and he sells his shoes so he can have a few meals then he's about to get kicked out of his condo. And he's like, well, this ring's not doing him any good. Let me, let me hawk that as well. And so he's got a little bit more time in his condo. But what happens, eventually he gets kicked out. He's got no friends. He's got no place to stay. He's literally homeless. And he's looking for a job. And nobody's got to hire him because he's a foreigner. But there's only one guy that will hire him. It is a sadistic pig farmer who thinks it's funny to have a Jewish man slopping his pigs. Oh, yeah, this is awesome. I'm going to hire you. I know exactly what you can do. You can slop my pigs. And so here he is. There he is with the pigs. And he's so hungry that he longs to eat what the pig slop is eating. And yet he knows if he does, he'll be fired. And look what the Bible says in verse 16. Verse 16. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, this is typically when we get mad at God. God, if you really loved me, if you really cared for me, you would rescue me from this mess that I'm in right now. But can I tell you something? That's not how it works, is it? There's a little thing called free will. And God has given every one of you free will, and free will demands that you reap the consequences of your choices. And God does not bless your mess. God rescues us once we, what? Repent. Right? That's what the Bible says. And so here he is. He's starving to death, and suddenly the Bible says, Jesus says, he comes to his senses, He starts remembering home. He starts remembering his mama's cooking and the warmth of his room. And he says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to return back to my father. And I'm going to say, Dad, I was wrong. Please forgive me. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God. I mean, I've I've broken every commandment you taught me in the Bible. I'm so sorry, Dad. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. In fact, I know you have hard hands. I'll sleep in the bunkhouse. Dad, hire me as one of your hired hands. I won't even use my last name. No one has to know that I'm your son. Just please take me back. And so he gets up and he starts heading back home. But then Jesus says, what's been going on meanwhile back on the ranch? Well, you see, there's been the father there. And Jesus tells us that the father is every day comes to the edge of his property And he looks over the horizon, longing, waiting for his son to come home. And every day he looks, praying, wanting, longing if the son would just come home. And days turn into weeks and weeks and months and months and years and years pass. And every day the father is longing, looking, hoping the son will come home. And then one day as he's looking, he sees a figure coming down the road. And he, his heart heightens, and he's like, Could that be my son? And the closer he gets, he goes, That looks like my boy. He looks a lot thinner than he did, but that looks like my boy. And then what does he do? He does something that no dignified Jewish man would do. He, he pulls up his robe and he runs to his son. Now, His son has this little speech that he's memorized. You're right, when he gets in trouble, he always memorizes, I'm gonna apologize. And he's got this little speech all made up and he starts his speech. Father, I've sinned against you, I've sinned against God. And, And he can't even complete his speech because the dad is hugging him and kissing him so much. And then the dad yells for his servants, come, come, come here, bring a coat for my son, bring shoes, put a ring on his finger. Let's kill the fatted calf. Why? Look at what Jesus says. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. That's a beautiful story. That's the story of the heart of Almighty God. And we think that's the end of the story, but it's not the end of the story, right? Because we know that um, there's this elder son, and the elder son, you know, basically, um, he's in the field working, being diligent like he always is, and he hears the celebration in the house, and he asks one of the servants, hey, so what's going on? He says, man, you hadn't heard? Your younger brother's returned home. You know, your brother who left and broke your mom and dad's heart, I mean, he's come home, and your dad says, hey, let's throw a barbecue for him. And, I mean, the older brother was just mad. And, and so the father comes out to the elder son, and says, son, what's wrong? And he says, dad, I don't understand. I mean, this son of yours, he's taken your money. He has spent it on loose living and wild women and drugs and alcohol, and, and now he comes back all broken and messed up, and, and you throw him a party? Thanks, but no thanks. I don't want to be a part of that. And, and so how does the father respond to the elder Son, look what he says in verse 31. Son, he said to him, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So those are the three stories. The three stories of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. But what do they mean? Well, I want us now to move beyond the stories to now let's talk about what do we learn from these stories? Because I believe that Almighty God wants us to learn something from these stories for our lives and for our church. And there's at least three things. There's more than that. But there's three things that I really see that we can learn from these stories. And I want you to jot them down. Number one, first of all, people are valuable. People are valuable. I mean, why is it that a shepherd would leave ninety-nine sheep and go after the one because that one sheep is valuable? Why in the world would a woman, you know, light a lamp and sweep her entire house looking for that one coin because that one coin is valuable? Let me just say this: You are valuable to Almighty God. You are valuable. Now, how do you and I determine value? I mean, how do we determine? Okay, this is the value of something. Typically. The value of something is determined based on what is somebody willing to pay for it, right? Well, let me again remind you of how valuable you are to Almighty God. You see, God bankrupt heaven for you. God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, who walked down the starry steps of eternity into time and space, took on human flesh, lived the perfect life we could never live, and then died our death. The crown that belonged on my head was on his head. The cross on his back that belonged on my back and your back was on his back. Folks, don't ever think God doesn't love you. He's demonstrated how much he loves you by sending his son. You are valuable. You are valuable to Almighty God, not because of who you are, not because of how religious you are. You are valuable to God, not because your name Not because your skin color, you're you're valuable not because of the car you drive or the house you live in or the number of zeros in your bank account. You are valuable to God because you're made in the image of Almighty God and you have a soul that's going to be living forever one place or another. In fact, look at how Jesus put this. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 8, verse 36. Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? In essence, what Jesus is saying is that if you had a value scale and you put on one side of the scale all the wealth, all the value, all the possessions of this life on one side of the scale, and then you put the value of one soul, of one lost person on this planet, it would outweigh all the rest. That's how valuable you are. You are valuable to Almighty God. People are valuable. In fact, this is what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the person next to you and just remind them, people are valuable. People are valuable. People are valuable. Folks, that's why we do what we do. That's why we go to great expense and effort to plant another church. Why? Because those 33,000 people are valuable to Almighty God. People are valuable. But what else do we learn? There's a second principle we learn from these parables, and jot this down, that people can be lost. People can be lost. Now, what we find in this story is that we three different stories, and it's basically three different ways that people can get lost. I mean, I think about the, um, the, the sheep. How did the sheep get lost? Well, it just sort of drifted away, right? It wasn't intentional. It just sort of drifted away. I mean, probably the sheep was, you know, nibble, nibble here, and, oh, here's some green grass, and nibble, nibble there, and, oh, there's some green grass, and nibble, nibble there, right? The next thing you know, you know, it lifts up its head, and it's miles away from the care of the shepherd, It just nibbled itself away. Can I tell you that's exactly what we do? We drift from God, don't we? We take a little nibble, nibble the world here and a little nibble, nibble the world here and a little nibble, nibble the world there and we don't think it's that big a deal but next thing you know we're drawing farther and farther and farther away from God. I mean, I think about my life before I became a follower of Jesus Christ. I was an alcoholic. I had no intentions. It wasn't my goal to become an alcoholic but that's what my choices led to. Right, So you need to understand something. You you think it's not a big deal drifting away from God, but sin has a way of capturing us. Sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go. Sin will keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. Sin will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. I mean, you know what? Sin Sin may thrill you, but then it'll kill you. It may fascinate you, but then it'll assassinate you. Satan plays for keeps. And if you have drifted away from the Lord, hear Jesus say, repent and return. The lost can be found. But there's a second reason why people drift away. We have the parable of the lost coin. How did the coin get lost? I mean, she says, I mishandled it. I'm the one that lost it. Do you know that some people are lost because they've been mishandled by other people? Think about that. You go, um, in what way? Well, maybe they were mishandled by a parent. Maybe it was a family member. Maybe it was, um, you know, a loved one. Or maybe it was a teacher. Maybe they're mishandled by the church. See, we have a lost, broken world that comes here looking for Jesus, and what they often see are hypocrites, right? And you go, why don't you go to church? Because I've been there. I don't like what I saw. Right, And so people come here and see what happens is we have a tendency to sometime become like the the Pharisees in Jesus' day, the elder brother. And what do we do? We look down on other people. And we somehow think that the lost world is going to look like and act like us. They can't. They won't. I I mean, the lost world is going to struggle with their sexual identity and immorality. And and they're going to make all the wrong choices Folks, that's just the way it's going to be. And so when they come here, we need to understand that they're broken and they're lost and they need to find a place that's safe where they can find Jesus Christ, right? As a church, we don't want to mishandle people. Some people are lost because they've been mishandled. There's a third reason why some people are lost. Some people are lost because of just pure rebellion, right? That's the prodigal son. It's just pure rebellion. I want what I want. I want my independence. I don't want to follow you. Right? I've heard people, they've told me this before. Ain't no God going to tell me how to live my life. Ain't no Bible going to tell me how to live my life. I had one teenager say this to me. He said, my parents ain't going to tell me what to do. My teachers aren't going to tell me what to do. You preachers aren't going to tell me what to do. You know what I'm going to do when I graduate? I go, what's that? I'm going to join the army. <laughs> okay. Okay. They're not going to tell you what to do. <laughs> <laughs> we all live under authority, don't we? And the ultimate authority is almighty God. And what do we do? We say, we don't want some God telling us what to do. God, leave me alone. God, God bless me, but leave me alone. I, we're like the prodigal son. I wish you were dead, God, so I could just get away from you. If you're here and that's your heart and you've rebelled, I'm asking you, return home. There is a heavenly father that will smother you with kisses if you'll just repent and return home. That's the heart of Almighty God. Which leads to the third thing that we learn here. What is that? That God wants the lost found. God wants the lost found. That's how this whole story started off. Luke 15 all begins by these sinners coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Look at how this is written. In Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it says this. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to who? To Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, why is it that so many of the lost in that culture, and even today, are attracted to Jesus? Why, why do people come from the shadows of society? Why do people are drawn from the margins of our culture to Jesus Christ? Why? Because Jesus talks about God like no one else did. See, in that culture, in that time, people had this image of God that God was sort of just this, this cosmic being and he's up there in heaven or he's, he's on the top of this mountain. He's, he's smoldering with anger. And he's just looking down, waiting for you to just get out of line. He's gonna strike you with a, you know, a lightning bolt. Is that how Jesus describes God? No. Jesus describes God as a father who lets us make our choices but longs for us to come home. We have a father, almighty God, who literally stands at the edge of eternity and looks out over the horizon and he waits and he longs for you to come home. And and whenever he sees you coming home, what does he do? Well, look at it. Look at it verse again, verse 20. But while the son was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran through his arms around his neck and kissed him. Now again, in the ancient Near East culture, that would have been unheard of. No grown man runs. Why? Because they wore robes, right? I mean, what did you have to do? You have to be like Lifting up your skirt and tucking it in and going for a jog. Man, no dude does that, right? Well, this dad did. Why? Because he couldn't wait another second to reconcile with his son. And as soon as he saw him, what did he do? He embraced him and filled his face with kisses. Now, remember, this boy's been slopping pigs. You know I grew up as a hog farmer. You hang out with pigs, you do not smell good. But about the stench. He just loved his son. Can I tell you, that's the heart of Almighty God for you. That's the heart of Almighty God for this world. God longs for the lost to be found. Now, probably every one of us can relate to the prodigal son, right? We've all drifted. We've all repented. We've come home. We've, we've sensed the grace of God, the forgiveness of Almighty God, right? We, we felt God's love and As we return to him, man, that's the gospel. But this is what I've discovered. That over time in the church, it seems like the longer we become Christians, the more and more we start looking like the Pharisees in Jesus' day or the elder brother in this story. And we somehow begin to start thinking that we're better than a lost world. Well, we, we're trying. We're, we're at least hanging around. We're not acting like they're acting. I mean, you know, you know Jesus, these guys, the world is just so bad, and, and they're so sexually messed up, and, and they're making all the wrong choices. And, and you know what's amazing is that the Father doesn't deny any of that. It's true. They are. But look at what he says. This brother of yours was dead. And he's alive again. He was lost and found. It's worse than what you thought. Your, Your brother's actually dead. And now he's alive. And that is the heart for Almighty God. And that should be our heart. If that's the way God sees the lost world. And every Sunday God doesn't just look with happiness and pleasure at you worshiping here. But he's looking with grief and sorrow of those that are not here then that should be our heart, that we should have the heart of God that longs to go out and seek and find the people that are far from God and help them come in and love them into the kingdom of God. That's our calling. That's why we do what we do. Let me close with this. Over 15 years ago, I happened to be shopping at a um, Lowe's and I was buying some adhesive numbers from my mailbox and as I was just looking at different styles, suddenly... Um, Over the intercom came this announcement. Attention employees and shoppers. We have a code Adam. There's a three-year-old boy with blonde hair wearing a light blue shirt who has disappeared. Please help us look for him. And suddenly, the entire place went on alert. I mean, the employees began to, you know, scurry about. The doors were shut. No one was allowed to leave. The police were called, you know customers that were shopping, suddenly we stopped our shopping and we start looking, okay, is this a place where like a three-year-old boy would hide? is this a place? And everybody's looking and you're thinking, I sure hope he wasn't kidnapped. And then suddenly, five minutes later, this announcement comes over the intercom that says, cancel code Adam, the little boy is found. And I experienced something in Lowe's I've never experienced before. There were applause and cheers and everybody's looking at each other with big smiles, why? Because the lost boy had been found. When I got in my car and drove away, I thought, why can't the Church of Jesus Christ have that kind of unity, that kind of passion, that kind of purpose? Because that's what we're called to do. Not just to reach lost boys and girls, but men and women and mom and dads that have drifted far from God We are called to go and reach them. That's why we do what we do. That's why why our church operates the way it operates because it is God's heart that the lost be found. Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord Jesus, thank you for your heart and passion for the lost world. Oh Lord, help us to have a similar heart. God, I am asking that you somehow change us from the apathy that we presently may have as a Christian to have the real heart that you have. God, I'm asking that you now help us respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website.